0: Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to ToledoCalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. I grew up in a, in a church culture, like in a Pentecostal church culture, where from time to time, the pastor would come up and he would say, Today, I've thrown the message I prepared out. And I'm going to preach something that God just put in my heart. And when the pastor said that, you automatically thought, well, today he's actually hearing from God. Right? I mean, that was, the, like, that was the thought process. Right? And guys would brag about it. Like, it was like, hey, if they're making up the message on the fly, like if it's coming in the moment, then it must be more anointed. It must be more fresh. It must be more hot from heaven. Look, I, I have this personal conviction that I actually think it's, it's just as, if not more supernatural, if the Holy Spirit will speak to me on Tuesday morning than on Saturday night. right? Isn't that kind of a, I mean, a little more prophetic if you ask me? Uh, I think it's an interesting thing. That being said, last night about 10 o'clock, I changed my message. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was going go to I was gonna go in a different direction. right? We're in this series that we're calling Essentials, we're talking about the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. In particular, we're looking at the things that Paul said to the church in Ephesus about the Holy Spirit, whether it be in Acts chapter 19 or in the book of Ephesians. And one of the things from the, from the beginning of this series, we had mapped out that today we would look at the spiritual gifts about how God's Holy Spirit works in our lives to develop his gifts, how he releases his power and his authority and helps us to fulfill his purpose for our lives, Me- meaningful stuff that we were gonna talk about. And we, we will, we'll hit that again and we're really gonna focus on that. When, when we have our next first Wednesday on February 6th, where we come together for that, we'll, we'll dig into that even a little bit more on that night. And we were supposed to do communion earlier in the service during the worship time. Or instead, we're gonna, we're gonna do it at the end here in just a few moments. Last night, I just, about 10 o'clock, I sensed, do you ever have those moments where you just don't have peace? Do you know what I'm talking about? Like where there's just, you just don't, I don't I feel right about it. I don't know why, I just don't feel right about it. I didn't have a release about it. And I'm, I'm reading through the text again in Ephesians chapter four, and this whole different verse, not the place where I thought we would be, just kinda, just kind of jumps out at the, off the page at me. And it was like, "Oh, that's, that's what we're supposed to talk about. And so we're taking a whole different approach today, and it's interesting, I think God allows that to happen sometimes for a couple of reasons. One of the reasons is, because sometimes I have to get out of the way. Anybody? <laughs> like, I, I, I want to make sure that, that he's doing it, not me. The other thing is this: what we're going to look at today? Is like, is like really basic stuff in some ways. Like it's all about the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and how the Spirit works and how the Spirit moves, but it's very practical stuff, hopefully stuff that if you're not already trying to practice this, it's something that's gonna help you maybe even before you get out of these walls today. And every time we hear God's word, God's word is timeless, There's truth that's there. So whether we need it right in that moment or we're going to need it later down the road, I've found that there is truth in God's word that is always relevant, right? Do Do you believe me? Right? It's timeless. I also know that there are moments when God's word is timely, when it's exactly what you need to hear And I can't help but wonder if the way that God has crafted this message is so that some of you will know that he's got your number and he knows your situation and he wants to speak a word of encouragement to you today through what we're talking about because these truths aren't just timeless for you, for your situation, for your family, for your work, for your church experience. It is a very timely moment for you to hear these verses from Ephesians chapter four. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me there if you would, please. Ephesians chapter 4. We're really only going to look at about three verses and kind of break them down and see what the Holy Spirit wants to say to us. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. We'll just read through them and then we'll we'll come back to them. Paul is writing, if you remember, to a church in Ephesus. This is a church that he started. This is a church that he loves. He loves. Of all the places he was on his missionary journeys, of all the churches that he launched, he spent more time pastoring this one than he did any other. We'll we'll get to Acts chapter 20 here in a few weeks, and you'll see the the very special relationship that he has with this church. He loves these folks. This is about seven years after he left there that he's writing this letter to them. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1 is the halfway point in the letter. That's very significant. We'll get to why that's significant here in just a moment. And at this halfway point in the letter, Paul writes, as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep, and here's here's what kind of gripped my attention for, for our church today. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. We've been talking about what the Holy Spirit does, and, and we're going to talk about spiritual gifts, and we're going to talk about the fruit of the Spirit, and we're going to look at the subject of spiritual warfare. And in and, and preparing and reading through the book of Ephesians, I knew this was about the Holy Spirit, this verse here, but it didn't grab me in the way that, that, that maybe I felt last night. Today we're going to talk about the unity of the Spirit. And unity can be a loaded word, it can be a tough word, it can be a challenging word in our homes, in our churches, in your school, in in your life in some way, in your relationship with certain people. Today we're gonna talk about this idea of unity and when Paul mentions it and actually ties it to the Holy Spirit, what does he mean? What does he mean by not just unity, not just good feelings, not just, hey, we get along. What does he mean when he talks about the unity of the Spirit? Let's go back to the text, let's just kind of Break it down. Let's work our way through these three verses. Look at what Paul's trying to say here. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Paul starts with this. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. He starts out by calling himself a prisoner for the Lord. This, this isn't just like an analogy. He's not just kind of like saying, well, I have committed myself completely to God. When he says a prisoner for the Lord, what he means is he's in prison. Seven years after he left Ephesus, he finds himself sitting in a prison in a Roman jail cell in the city of Rome. And there he is at times chained to a Roman guard. It's a very significant time for Paul because in our New Testament, the books of Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon, he wrote all of those while he was in that prison cell in Rome we can be thankful for that time because of how those, those writings have blessed the church. And from that prison cell, Paul writes to them. He doesn't say this to get their sympathy. He says this so they'll know that he's all in, that he knows what the gospel costs, that he knows what commitment is all about, that he loves this church so much that he'd go to prison for them. And he writes to them and says, as a prisoner for the Lord then, does that, does that get your attention, Ephesus? Ephesus? And actually, when we read it, we should say, does that, does that get your attention, Calvary and Mommy on a Sunday in January? when It just won't stop snowing. <laughs> yeah, it should get our attention. He says, as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you, not I suggest, not may I have your attention, please. There's intensity in that. There's, there's forcefulness in that. Paul says, I urge you, Get this, friends. Pay attention here. You've got to see. I'm saying something significant Paul is writing to them. I urge you. Here's why that's so unique in this passage. We are at the halfway point in the book of Ephesians here. He already wrote three chapters. He's going to write three more. And at this halftime, he makes a real switch in what he's doing. If you're familiar with the book of Ephesians, then you know in those first three chapters, he's a theologian. Like he's writing there about ideas and thoughts and doctrine and dogma and and the way that we should think. He's writing about theology. He's talking about what Jesus has done for us. And I don't want to assume too much, but I'm going to guess that for most of us, we're familiar with Christian theology. If we're here today, we're listening and we're watching this, then maybe we're familiar with the idea that God sent his son Jesus to die for us. He lived a life without sin, and then he died on a cross to pay the price for our sins, and then he rose again on the third day, and he lives today, and I'm so thankful for that because that changes our lives, and if you'll know him as your Savior and as your Lord. Savior means he's the one that gives you forgiveness. Aren't you thankful for that? And he's the one that's your Lord. That means he directs and gives guidance to your life that if you'll know him as your Savior and as your Lord, then that changes everything. Paul takes time to write about that. We read about that a little bit last week in Ephesians chapter two. Paul says, here's your theology in the first three chapters. Then in the last three chapters, he goes from theologian to pastor. And he says, look, if this is what you believe, then it should affect how you live. He says, because of what we've already looked at, as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life, he says. He says, live a life. And if you look at that in the Greek, it doesn't just say live. It uses this word that Paul uses quite frequently in his, in his, in his epistles. He says that you are to walk in this way. Not just live, you're to walk. Now, walking's much more deliberate because I can just live without trying. Anybody else? <laughs> right? I'm, I'm just living. Walking means action. It means I'm taking a step. It means I'm deliberate. It also means that there's progress He says, I want you to walk in this way, I urge you. What he's about to say to you means this is a way in which you are to walk. You are to walk in the spirit, right? We talked about this last week. But it's not just what happens to us, it's what we do. Part of walking in the spirit is what we're gonna talk about here today. Sometimes we we think walking in the spirit just means that I have a little bit of, of divine direction. Sometimes if I have to make a decision, I'll get this little quiver in my liver and then I'll know what to do, right? We think of it in that way. Walking in the Spirit is more than just making decisions. Walking in the Spirit has to do with this topic of unity here today. And he says that you are to walk in a way that is worthy of the calling that you've received, Walk in a way that's worthy of that, which is an interesting word. The calling is that you've decided that you're going to live your life according to what Christ has done to us. That calling means that Jesus died for us. Everything that we just talked about, who we are in Christ, then as a result of that, we are to walk, we're to move, we're to progress, we're to go in the direction of, we're going to actively pursue that calling that we've received. And he says we're to do it in a way that is worthy It was interesting because I I, I took a glance at a commentary and what that word worthy means, and it's a fascinating thing. And it has to do with the idea of of a scale. You ever seen one of these old scales? Kind of weigh things? Now most of us have digital scales that we loathe. Can I get an amen? Right, we step on them, hate them. You know how it works. You can't step on this guy. Here's how it used to work. What you would do is you would put something on one side of this scale, and then you would use a weighted measure like something that you knew what it weighed, and you'd put it on the other side, and you would get it to a place where it would balance out. And then you would know what the balance was, what the value is, what the worth was. The word worthy in the Greek has this idea of these axes that are in balance. So the idea is whatever is on this side, you have to put on this side something that is worthy of what is on the other side, that brings it into balance that expresses its worth. You have to put enough weight on this side that it becomes worth what's on the other side. So Paul says, in light of everything that I've taught you theologically, in light of all these things that you say you believe, you need to live your life, not just here, but as you walk it out, you need to live your life in a way that brings what you say you are into balance with who you really are and walk in a way that is worthy of your calling. Does that make sense? Like that picture helped me, because there's times when I say I'm one thing, but I might not live it out on the other side and my life's not really in balance. Anybody, like is that? Like and this is key, because if I say one thing, and then what my family sees as another, then my life's not in balance. If I act one way on Sunday, but when I go to work on Tuesday, I'm a different dude, what are people gonna think about that church I go to on Sunday? It's not in balance. Paul says, I've spent a lot of time talking to you about what Jesus has done and what you say you believe. Now, look, I'm in jail telling you this because it matters, Paul says. I'm urging you with an intensity, don't miss this. I know that when my mom or dad urged me, it's because they meant it. Anybody? Anybody want your kids to know that? Right, when they urged me, usually because there was a consequence if I didn't get it, Paul says, look, I urge you, because of what you say you believe, put enough weight into your life to balance it out so that what you say and what you do line up. And especially in this area, he moves into next of our relationships because Paul's starting his his preacher role here, right? He's been a theologian. Now he's becoming a pastor. Now he's gonna get super practical. If you've ever read Ephesians 4, 5, and 6, you know that in those chapters, he's so practical with how you're supposed to live your life and what relationships look like. He breaks down probably more clearly there than anywhere else in Scripture the ideals of marriage and of parenting and of what we are to be in the workplace. He talks about how we're supposed to practically live our lives and the very first thing he hits is this area of unity. Do you think it's important? Because if if this area of unity is not in line in your life, then everything else is going to be out of balance. And when things are out of balance, it messes things up. It throws things off. So Paul says, I urge you, make sure that what you say lines up with who you are. Bring this area into balance in your life. Do you you see the, the importance of what he's talking about here? So with that in mind... We go to verse two. Okay, Paul, you have our attention. What does that mean? Ephesians chapter four, verse two. He says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Well, that's a tall order, isn't it? It's interesting all he says there. Let's let's keep moving. Remember those words, because we're gonna come back there in just a moment. Verse three. Paul says then, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Just mentioned all those words to us, and then he says to us, make every effort. The idea behind that, that word there that's in the New Testament, make every effort, it has this connotation, hey, I know this is not going to be easy. What I'm asking you to do might be an uphill climb. And we know that's true, right? The things that we have that are of a value in our lives, typically do those come to us easy, right? Most things that we have that matter, we have to work for. And Paul says, look, I'm I'm telling you what I'm about to talk to you about. He says, make every effort. And I know that'll take work on your part. I know it won't come easy. There may be things that won't come natural. You're gonna have to engage yourself in this. But he says, I want you to make every effort effort put some muscle and sweat into this make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit what he says there is really important he says that there is such a thing and especially for those of us that are followers of jesus christ there is such a thing as the unity of the spirit that the Holy Spirit brings to our lives and brings to our homes, brings to our churches and brings with us where we go a sense of unity from him. But what's interesting is he does not use language where he says make every effort to find the unity of the Spirit. He doesn't say go searching for it. He doesn't say if you're lucky you might find it. He says make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. Have you ever looked for something and it was right under your nose? Anybody? Like you're just searching all over. I don't know where my keys are. I can't find my keys. I have no idea where they, oh, (laughs) they're in my pocket. You ever done that? It's right there. How many times do we make something more complicated than it needs to be? And this idea of unity, I I think, lines right up here because of what Paul says. So many times we're like, well, I'm just trying to find unity, or I'm just trying to create unity, or I'm just hoping there'll be unity. And what Paul says is, it's here, That, that, that the Holy Spirit brings unity because he's living in us and he's working through us. It's our job to maintain it. It's our job to keep it. We don't have to make it happen. He has brought it into existence. Our role is to make sure that we live our lives in such a way that what we know the Spirit has done can be lived out in our lives because we bring that into balance. He says you will keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Like there's things that you can do that will bond, that will attach peace to your situation. Okay, pop quiz. You ready? Where was Paul when he wrote this? He was in the city of, anybody? Rome, and he was sitting in a Roman prison, jail cell, right? And there he was, and at many times he was chained to a Roman guard. He was bonded to that person. And many people think that when he wrote that word bond there, the bond of peace, he had this image in his mind of being connected to something like he was to that other individual in such a way that you, you were just so committed to that. He says, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And I go, Amen. Yeah, Paul, I want to do that. I want my life to be in balance. So, what is. What does he mean? Like, how are you and I going to make that happen? He already told us. When he said make every effort, he's referring back to the very practical things that he already said. Those words in verse two that he ran through, some of which that we don't like to hear. Ephesians chapter four, verse two, he says, and you can kind of shift the order here if you want, make every effort to be completely humble and gentle Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Paul says, if the weight of what Christ has done for us is going to be balanced out by what it is in our lives, then we need to make every effort to live out what he says to do in verse 2. So let, let's do this for these next few moments then. Let, let's let's kind of unpack those words in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2. If we're going to live those things out, what's that going to look like in our lives? And here's the interesting part. Part of my job is, is, as, a, as a communicator is to take things that are complicated and try to make them simple. What I'm banking on today, though, is that as we talk about these things... The Holy Spirit, who I know works in our lives, is gonna help to apply this to you. So for some of you, this is timeless, and this is good for you to remember because there's a good chance you'll need it at some point, but for some of you, it's timely. And it's not a situation that might happen, it's a situation that is happening or a situation that did happen. And the Holy Spirit needs to speak to our heart about some of these things. How are we to make every effort to make sure that our lives are in balance, that we keep the unity of the Spirit? Well, the first thing that he says is we're to be completely humble. That sounds fun, doesn't it? <laughs> completely humble. That, that word humility is interesting because before the New Testament, you really don't see it used much in the Greek language. It's a word that was introduced through Christian theology, through the words of scripture in a whole new way from what it was already in that Greek language. And when you mix that with the word completely, completely humble, it has no good ideology to the Greek mindset of that time. It wasn't a virtue to be humble. We think of it as a good thing. Oh, I wanna, I wanna try to be humble, I wanna show some humility. Not to the Greeks, because their idea was this, I want to be great and I want everybody else to know that I'm great. Right, have you ever been in a situation like that? You ever worked in a place like that? You ever known people like that? Where the point is, I wanna be great and I want everybody else to know that I'm great, I'll just be humble about it, right? Isn't that how we do it? I'm so humble, I just know everybody knows that I'm great. And Paul's saying, look, I know the culture that you're in. I know the world that you're in that says if you're really living life, then you're gonna be something special, but here's what I want you to do. Instead, I want you to flip this like Jesus did. See, when Jesus came, what he did was he modeled something totally, totally different. He modeled service and sacrifice. He modeled putting other people first. Philippians chapter 2 says that if you have the mind of Christ, then you don't think of yourself, you think of others. Paul said that if you're going to be used by the Holy Spirit, if he's going to empower you, then it has to begin with this. Romans chapter 12, be careful that you don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Here's where it starts, he says. He says, if your life's gonna be in balance in this, in this area, in this situation, if the Holy Spirit is really gonna be able to bring unity through you, then it starts with this. You gotta be kind of halfway humble. Is that what he said? No, he says, hey, be, be completely humble. It's such a significant thing for us to be able to go, I need to put other people first in my life. I need to be willing to say, I'm going to set my life aside, my desires aside, my goals aside. Now, look, all of this has practical implications in our lives and in our roles. We'll get to that in just a moment. But he says then at some point, I have to wrestle with what's going on internally. This is what's interesting about how he talks to us here. He starts with what's internal, and then he brings it out into what's external. And he says, i got to wrestle with what's going on internally. And I've got to say, God, help me to be completely humble. Help me to not think of myself the way I want to see myself or the way others see me. Help me to see myself the way that you see me, that my is in you, that my purpose is in you. And if I can do that, then I can move forward with humility. And he says, you need to practice this. Make every effort to be completely humble and gentle. Gentle's an interesting word. Like, we, we say it to our kids. We, we say it when someone's holding a baby or a kitten, right? Oh, be gentle. And we think it has something to do with almost being weak. That's not the the context of the word he uses here. When Paul says that we are to show gentleness, that we're to be gentle, other words that maybe other translations use are words like meekness or considerateness or strength that's controlled, that we are gentle in how we act. It's as much what we do as who we are. It's a part of our character. In the New Testament, this usually has something to do with our attitudes, that we have a gentle attitude towards someone else, that we are completely humble and gentle. Here's the beauty of this. If I can wrestle this to the ground, and I don't think it happens once. I think this is an ongoing process. Sometimes in my life, Being completely humble and gentle is a weekly thing. Sometimes being humble is a daily thing. Sometimes gentleness is an hourly thing. With some people, it's a minute by minute. Can I get an amen? (laughs) But if I can wrestle this to the ground, here's what happens. If I have enough humility to know that my identity is not in me but in, in who Jesus Christ is, and if I can choose that I'm going to respond in life in a way that puts other people first and have considerateness, here's what happens that when an offense comes my way, I know that I'm not measured by what someone else thinks of me, but what he thinks of me. And when they insult me or they injure me or they, they hurt me physically or emotionally or in whatever way, at some point I, it hurts, it stings, it's hard, it's difficult. I don't want to take that away. Unity is not easy. That's why Paul says, make every effort. It will be uphill at times. But if I do that, then I know that I can move forward with a higher purpose of honoring Jesus Christ and being used by him than just trying to win an argument or get back at somebody else. He says that at some point, make every effort to be completely humble and be gentle. And then he says, (laughs) be patient. (laughs) I was with him up until then. He says, be patient. And let's break it down. Because the same words that Paul uses about patience he wants us to have are the same words Scripture uses about the patience God has with us. Patience has to do with a reluctance to avenge wrongs. It's a slowness to retaliate or hurt another person. It's this, this ongoing patience with humanity that's very much driven by what Christ has done for us. Look, if you're gonna have gentleness externally, internally, it has to start with humility. In the same way, this internal process we're talking about has to start with patience. It has to start with taking a deep breath. It has to start by figuring out what really matters in life. And look, there are times when you need to respond in a forceful way. There are times when you have to say no. There are times when you have to set up boundaries and protect yourself or your family. All that makes sense, right? I'm not telling you to be a pushover or do something that's unwise. I'm saying Paul says that where the Holy Spirit wants to bring unity, it's our job to maintain and keep it and part of what we're gonna have to do is to be patient and so much of that is how we view other people. Recently in the nation of Australia, there was a lady, she was out taking a walk she walked by this home and as she did, she heard these blood curdling screams of this toddler. It was like terrifying to her. She could just hear this child screaming and all of a sudden a grown man yelling over and over again, why won't you die? Why won't you die? Well you can imagine the person passing by freaked out, right? Calls the police, tells them what happened. The police show up with a show of force. They surround the place, they come up to the door, you know, they're pounding on the door, Let us, police let us in this, guy opens the door and they're like, sir, what is going on here? The guy's immediately really embarrassed. He says, I'm so sorry. He said, this massive spider got in my house. Freaked my child out, I can't catch it, I'm trying to kill it, and the whole time he's yelling, why won't you die? Here's how the police report ended. No injuries cited except to spider. (laughs) Now look, especially if that's a fear, I get it. (laughs) I know why you might yell that. The situation here though is I think a lot of times, we have a tendency to see that person that pushes our buttons. We have a tendency to see those situations that make us uncomfortable. We have a, a, a kind of propensity that when somebody gets on our nerves, we view them like that spider. We view them like something that I've just gotta take care of. I've just gotta deal with this. Why won't you die? We might not think that physically, but we wouldn't mind if they were far away from us. Anybody? (laughs) And we view them more like a spider than we do a child of God that God loves and that he died for, that he had his body broken for, that he shed his blood for just the way he did for you and me. They're not a nuisance to be dealt with. They're someone that God loves just as much and in the same way that he loves you. Do you remember the patience he's had for you? I do. (laughs) Do you know the patience he has with you right now? Do you know the patience he'll have with you probably as you drive home with other people who can't drive in the snow? (laughs) That same patience he has for you, he has for them, and he says to you, make every effort to be completely humble, and gentle, internally, work on that patience, and externally, he, he uses the phrase where we are bearing with one another. Your, your version of the Bible may use the kind of more technical term forbearance. It means you put up with one another, that you put up with another person's faults or idiosyncrasies. Raise your hand and, and thank the Lord that you have no faults and idiosyncrasies. Anybody? <laughs> like, I got them, and I know for a fact you do. I can see some of them right now. <laughs> right? It's, just, it's the reality. And patience internally shows up externally as forbearance, as bearing with one another. It's, it's the practical outworking of that patience. It's not ceasing to love one's neighbor or friends just because they have faults or perhaps they offend or displease us. It's saying, I'm gonna make every effort, even when it's uphill, to let the love that Jesus showed to me be lived out in my life It's gonna happen as I'm doing my best. I know, God, I'll let you down at times. There'll be times when I'm gonna have to work on this balance, but I wanna do my best to maintain and keep the unity of the Spirit by being completely humble and by being gentle, considerate, mindful of other people, patient with them and having that expressed as I, at times, just put up with them. The problem is, many times, We won't take that step of bearing with someone else. We we will shut down before we get to forbearance. We won't have the patience to interact. Instead, we like to just push it away. How different would things be if we were willing to see things from someone else's perspective? What if we would hear things? What if we would be open to hear them? That might change everything. Recently, there was a report of a lady in the nation of China. She woke up one day and realized that, that when her boyfriend spoke to her, she could not hear him. Like he would open his mouth and physically, she heard nothing, like she could hear other things, but she just could not hear him. It's a fascinating thing, and they're like, something's not right here. So they took her to the hospital. So she's in the emergency room. A female doctor comes in and talks to her, and she hears her just fine. This young male doctor walked in, started talking to her, and when the male doctor started talking, she could not hear him at all, could not hear his voice physically, could not comprehend it. This woman had lost the ability to hear the male voice. I I, I knew there would be response if I waited long enough. I'm not sure which one of you sisters just clapped, but God knows. And some of you men are like, I'm putting that in my prayer journal. I wonder if that works both ways, right? You know, you're thinking that through. So here's the deal. This is an actual condition. It's called reverse slope hearing loss, R-S-H-L. And specialists say that that if you have 12,000 people who are suffering from hearing loss of some kind, it's very rare. One out of every 12,000 individuals who are suffering from hearing loss will get this RSHL, this reverse uh, slope hearing loss. And what it is is you, you start to lose a certain range. And so it wasn't just male voices, it was low sounds. And so she could not hear low sounds, and it happened to be these male voices, and so she just she couldn't hear these things, right? And so what, what, the, what the doctor said was oftentimes it's genetic, but sometimes it can be brought on by other things. Like they think because she's been under a lot of stress and because she hasn't slept much that it kind of led to this condition, and so they're very hopeful that she'll make a recovery. She's not so hopeful that it will happen and excited about it, but they, they are. They think she'll be able to hear her boyfriend again. Interesting story, reverse slope hearing loss. I wonder how many of us have relationally or spiritually had that at times. That there were certain people, we just couldn't hear them. We just completely shut out their voice. Before they even opened their mouth, we already knew what they were gonna say. And we gave them no grace, and we gave them no patience, And we had already tuned them out in such a way that we said, because of this or because of that, I'm done or you're done or this is over or I already know what you're gonna say. And this happens in our homes and it happens in our workplace and it happens in our schools and it happens in our churches. And God is speaking to us and he's saying, make every effort. To be completely humble. Put that one on your scale. And you you respond with considerateness. Be gentle and meek toward others. Put that on your scale. And in the process of that, be patient and bear with one another. Yeah, I know we're all weird. But he says, bear with one another. It won't be easy. But if you'll make the effort to do this, That's when the Holy Spirit can bring to life what you don't have to find, but what he already wants to do for you and through you and bring that unity of the Spirit and peace into your life. And our role is to go, I've got to take what I believe and balance it out with what I do and make every effort to be completely humble and gentle and patient and bear with one another in love. There you have it. Like at the heart of it all is love, which is why we are gonna take time now to share in Holy Communion. We're, we're gonna prepare right now to go to the Lord's table, and, and some, some of our ushers and team, they're, they're, gonna, they're gonna step out now and help to get things ready so that we can share in communion together. Our worship team's gonna come. We're gonna look at this, but it's interesting what Paul does because what Paul does is, remember, he, he tells us very practically what to do, and then he tells us why. He says, here's the reason you can have unity. Here's the reason you can be patient. Here's the reason that with humility, you can bear with one another's idiosyncrasies because of what Jesus has done for us. Ephesians chapter four, verse four. He says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all, And in all, Paul says, look at what you all have in common. You all have faults and idiosyncrasies. And you all have moments where you get on somebody's nerves. And you all have times where you need someone to be considerate and think of you and put you first. And that's exactly what Jesus did. We come to the Lord's table and remember that God sent his son to die for us because he loves us, because he cared for us. And when we focus on what unites us instead of what divides us, that becomes a game changer, doesn't it? When we think of what we have in common and what Jesus has done for us as a family and as a church and even as individuals where where we're out And maybe interacting with people that, guess what? It's hard for the unity of the spirit to be there because the other person isn't humble. Maybe the other person just doesn't care about God or Jesus at all. Maybe they're actually opposed to truths or speaking. They're they're anti-God. They think you're a joke because of your faith. Even in those situations, you know what God calls you to do? He calls you to love them the same way that he loved you. Which leads us then to make every effort To keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So here's here's what's interesting about a a message like this today. Is that for all of us, it's timeless. Like like for all of us, at some point, this fits in. And there's a really good chance that you you might get later into this week, and that that scale's going to show up in your mind, and you go, ah, I, I need to put some weight on this side to balance out that side. Or is there a really good chance that somebody's gonna push up against you or, or push your buttons or do something this week and you're gonna hear the voice of the Holy Spirit in your head saying, it's a good time to be humble. This might be a good time for you to bite your tongue and put up with that. It might be a good time for you to forgive them in the same way that Jesus forgave you. And my hope is that when that moment comes, you'll be open to hear the Holy Spirit's voice and that this message will prove to be such powerful truth from God's word that it's timeless for you but I'm also pretty convinced that, that for someone this message has been timely not just this might happen but Chad this is happening like th- this is where I'm at right now because of what somebody is doing or what somebody did and I need to ask the Lord to help me to be humble and gentle and patient and and to bear with this situation in this moment. And I'm just going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. And take take kind of an internal look before we come to the Lord's table. And say, God, is is this message timely for me? Like, is there a situation, a person, a place, a thing, where where I need to do more than just hear this, but I'm going to need to walk this out to, to bring some balance to my life? And if in this moment you'd say, thank you, God, because this message has been timely for me, would you just raise your hand just to say, God, I know this is going to respond. I need to respond. This is important for me. This has been timely for me. You raise your hand and put it right back down. Just say, God, thanks. This has been timely for me today. Anybody else? Father, you know the situations in our lives. You know the times and the places where we need your help and where we need your strength. God, you know those moments where we need the unity of the Spirit. Lord, for some of us, there's a face or there's a name or there's a group or there's a situation where in this very moment we are saying, we know that we need you to help us, to strengthen us by your Spirit to make every effort to keep the unity that the Spirit brings. We give these situations to you in Jesus' name. Amen. In just a moment, our ushers are going to distribute the communion elements. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you know him to be your Savior and Lord, if he's forgiven your sins and you have the promise of spending eternity in heaven with him, then we invite you to join us in this time of communion. The ushers will distribute the elements. The bread represents the broken body of Jesus Christ and the cup represents his shed blood. We ask that you hold on to those things until everyone's been served and then we're sharing them together. Paul wrote about communion. He said, so whenever someone eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, they'll be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. Look, as we come to the Lord's table, if there's something that's in your life or maybe if there's something that's just not right between you and God or you and someone else and in this moment you need to make a decision to ask for forgiveness or determine the next step that you're going to take to bring reconciliation then I would invite you in this moment would you search your own heart as the worship team sings take a moment and ask God to help you in that situation bring that to him with humility with patience and thank him and ask him to help you to show forgiveness and grace in the same way that he's shown it to us Father, we thank you for how your word speaks to us. As we prepare our hearts for this moment of communion, would you remind us of your sacrifice in Jesus' name? Amen. Ushers, you may serve.
1: What a powerful name it is. What a powerful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ. what a powerful name it is nothing can stand against what a powerful name it is the name of jesus what a powerful name it is what a powerful name it is the name of jesus What a powerful name it is Nothing can stand against What a powerful name it is The name of Jesus Powerful name it is The name of Jesus Death could not hold you The veil tore Silence the
0: For his love for you. Thank you, God, for your love. Thank you for the powerful name of Jesus, for your sacrifice, for your grace, for your work in our lives. Thank you, Lord. Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Father, in our hands, we hold the bread that is a reminder of your great love for us. That in spite of our faults and idiosyncrasies, and even in spite of our sins, Jesus, your body was broken for us. You gave yourself for us. We are reminded of your great sacrifice today. As we share in the bread together, in Jesus' name. Let's share in the bread together. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, we thank you for the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus, that your blood was shed so that my sins could be forgiven. And even as we share in this cup, we're reminded that because of your forgiveness, we're able to forgive others. Lord, would you help us to put the scale in balance? that We would do more than just no forgiveness but that we would show with hearts that are humble and gentle patience and forbearance so that others would see your love and the power of forgiveness through the blood of Jesus Christ when they look at our lives. We thank you for your sacrifice in Jesus' name. Let's share in the cup together. If you would, please, would you you stand with me? And uh, I know that this is is big for me, that I I can hear something and I can just walk away. Sometimes I have to think in that moment, how's this gonna get lived out in my life? So just before we walk away, would you just take a moment and just say, God, how, how do you want me to live out the unity of the Spirit? What effort are you calling me to make? How is my week going to be different? Is is it gentleness? Is it patience? Is it putting up with, with a situation? Lord, I put this in your hands right now. God, thanks for your word and how it speaks to us. Holy Spirit, I pray that throughout this week, you would remind us of your truth and that our lives would be shaped by that. Now, as we go from here, we ask that you'd go with us. Would you send us out with your special favor and with your wonderful peace? we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, God bless you. Have a great week. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next Sunday.